welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hi there, folks. It's a pleasure to have you here with us this evening. If you're a regular, welcome back. I had a funny feeling I'd see you back here. And if you're a newcomer to the program, welcome and be warned. We're about to explore a dozen or so stories of high strangeness, submitted directly by listeners like you, and listeners like Raphael. Hey Derek, how you doing? This is Rafa again. Uh, I called back a few seasons ago with a UFO in Puerto Rico, and I was living in San Juan when I was living there in 2004. I was living on Moon Street, Calle Luna, on an old building from the beginning of the 20th century. But that particular night, I was staying at my parents' house south of there, and what happened was I got a call around 2 in the morning. From the number, it was a landline in the apartment. I picked up the phone, and it was like, that's weird. I could only hear the ambient sound. I thought my girlfriend was there at the time, so I figured she somehow had pressed a button or something and, and called. So I didn't give it a second thought, and I went back to bed. I fell back asleep, and when I got up the next morning... I had several messages from the same phone number, the landline at, at the apartment where I live with my girlfriend, and I was—I uh, couldn't figure it out. So I, when I got in touch with my girlfriend, she told me she had been gone all night, and she had actually stayed at a friend's house because she knew I was staying at my parents' house that night. And not only that, but she also got a message from the landline. And it was basically, I had a four-minute message with just the ambient sounds of the apartment. She had like a two-minute message with the ambient sound of the apartment. She thought that I had called. And I thought that she had been calling. But neither of us was in the apartment. And we didn't, we didn't even have an answering machine. It was just a regular phone. Like back in the day, like a landline, just plugged into the wall. Now, it was really weird because all in all, we had about four messages from the landline. I had received one call where I had answered, and yet nobody had been in the apartment. There was no answering machine. I mean, I, I just cannot explain. I'm at a loss. I have no idea how to explain it. I wish I could say it was just a, an electronic malfunction, but the amount of calls, the messages... I had a four-minute message, a minute-and-a-half message, and another three-minute message, and she had one two-minute-long message. All around the same time from two in the morning to four in the morning. Now, the interesting thing is this building used to be a brothel, is my understanding. So, And Moon Street was notorious for being like the city part of old San Juan a lot of brothels and speakeasies and that kind of stuff going on. So there were a lot of murders, a lot of disappearances, and, you know, some of the most haunted buildings in Osan Juan are in those two streets on Calle Luna and Calle Sol, Luna and, and Sol Street, which means Sun Street. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, for example, I used to work down the street 
in a really posh hotel that only had about 10 rooms. And the people that worked there, I was the only one there from 11 at night to 7 in the morning. The the ladies that would come in in the morning to do the cooking and clean and, and housekeeping would stand outside the door and would not go into the building until the sun came out. They would wait for like 10, 15 minutes because they would not set foot in that building in the dark. Now, I remember one time there was a big lounge room in the second floor with a library, a baby grand piano, some uh, couches and old chairs so you could sit and read and hang out and listen to the piano playing and stuff. So I was the only person in the hotel. It was slow season, so there was not a single guest. Remember, it's only 10 rooms. And I went and I mopped the entire lounge. This is beautiful marbled floors. I mopped, went to put everything away. And when I came back, there were footprints on the wet mopped floor, like somebody barefoot had just walked across the lounge. That creeped me out, man. You know, things would move and, you know, they would show up in other places and paintings would fall from the wall and break and, and stuff like that. All kinds of weird stuff happened. But all San Juan has a very old history. It was built 500 years ago by the Spanish. And it has a lot of history, a lot of death and dying in, in, in that small walled-in city. So no surprise or I have no doubt that it's full of spirits and, and so forth. I have no idea what it is. If you have any explanation, I would love to hear it. Anyways, keep up the good work, and I hope I'll see if anybody can explain what happened. Take care, man. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Raf. Two in the morning. An empty apartment. Yet, calls still originate from a landline in that very residence. That is certifiably creepy. And if I'm honest, it kind of reminds me of something. What's my But if not our old friend Indrid Cold, who or what made these phone calls from Raph's apartment? Well, as he alluded to, old San Juan is known for its spirits. And the city is over 500 years old. So there's a plethora of opportunity, and there seems to be no shortage of culprits. Now I did some digging in hopes to find you a story from the very hotel that Rav worked at. But alas, there were simply too many in that part of old San Juan for me to dig through. The place that he described seemed to fit nearly all the hotels running down that section of street. But I'm not going to let that stop me from sharing at least one local legend with you. And one that just might be from the very hotel that Raphael spoke of. Now this info on the once convent, now hotel, called the El Convento, comes courtesy of YouTube's Let's Talk Mystery, a resident of Puerto Rico. It used to be called the Carmelite Convent, and it was run by a woman, Doña Ana de Lanzos y Mendez de Valdez. <laughs> Supposedly, you can still hear the robes of the nuns swishing back and forth in the hallways. You can still hear them walking down. Some people have stated that they have actually seen full apparitions of nuns walking the hallways in this hotel as well. 
you can actually rent out Doña Ana's room at this hotel. It's one of the rooms that you are allowed to have and rent out. And apparently, if you sleep in too late, guests have reported feeling hands waking them up to get up for the day. And it is said that that is Doña Ana's spirit, making sure that people don't sleep in too late. Now, it seems like stories like this are a dime a dozen in the ancient city. Oh, and I probably should point out that it was mentioned that Doña Ana opened the convent, but how she got there is a tragic story worth sharing. In the early 1600s, Doña Ana called the building home with her husband. But in 1625, the Dutch attacked Puerto Rico, prompting her husband into battle. Well, tragically, he never returned. Grief-stricken, Doña Ana went on to open the convent and become its first mother superior. Now, one of these days, I'll tell you about the naked ghost in the hotel down the street. But I'm going to save that for another time. Now, I certainly couldn't tell you what happened there, Ralph. Perhaps we have a phone expert in the audience that can chime in. Maybe this is simply unexplainable. Either way, we appreciate you submitting the entry. Now, I don't get to do this all that often, but I have an update to his story aired on last week's episode. Now, you likely recall Ray's story about a time-slip trucker with oversized wheels. Well, I've had dozens of you reach out to me with different pieces of information. The majority claiming that these odd-looking tires do exist in our reality. And they're called super single tires. And from what I gather, they are used to either manage fuel or manage weight. Now, according to one listener, Walmart used to use them for a time before they realized the cost when one finally went down. Now, I guess they're still used from time to time. So perhaps that's what Ray saw that day. A huge thanks to all the listeners that submitted info on that time slip story. Now, next up, we venture to the state of Arizona, where Nico has a UFO encounter he would like to share. Hey, Derek. This is Nico in Arizona. I just wanted to call in a UFO. I was up in the Mount Baldy Wilderness area near the towns of Alpine and Greer, and it was near the West Fork of the Little Colorado River. It was a really sunny day, and I was looking up in the middle of the day. Not very many clouds in the sky at all, with only like a couple, and they were very small and wispy. So I was like, I was lying down in this patch of grass, and I was looking up, and over the tree line comes this black dot and it makes this almost like hook shape right above me it's large enough where i can make it out without losing it like when looking directly at it and then so i watched it, i was like oh that, 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 that's a neat little aircraft or, or whatever and then when it completed this little like hook shape almost like a little curve it should have vanished out of nowhere it, it took me a moment to just like realize what happened and i was like what so yeah i just wanted to call that in and um See what you had. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Nico. Without seeing it myself, it's hard not to imagine this craft looking exactly like a helium balloon of some sort. Now here in the LA area, all sorts of strange craft are spotted in the sky. I also happen to know that mylar and latex balloons are used quite frequently in the area. 
so perhaps there's a correlation with the high number of sightings. But that's what's different about the area where Nico had his experience. The Mount Baldy area of Arizona is desolate, not the sort of place you'd normally expect to see a floating balloon. But I will point out that the infamous alien abduction of Travis Walton occurred only some 50 miles from Mount Baldy as the crow flies. So take that for what it's worth. And thanks again, Nico, for sharing the entry. Now, if you have a story, a true story, that you would like to share on the show, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this episode is jam-packed with amazing, nigh terrifying calls. There's a lot of high strangeness involved in this one. And if you don't believe me, just take Anna's word for it. She's here with a tale out of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hi, Derek. My name is Anna, and this story took place in Virginia about 23 years ago. I was very young, about five or six, when my grandfather died, and it was my first real experience with death. A day or so after he passed, I woke up late at night because I had to use the bathroom. And it must have been about two or three in the morning because everyone else in my house was asleep. I walked into the bathroom, closed the door behind me and did my business. And when I opened the door again, I saw a static man in the doorway. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. It was literally a man-shaped static blob. And it lingered for a few seconds before kind of dissolving into the air. And I was so scared, but I ran past the place where that static man had just been. And I ran straight to my parents' room and told them what I saw. And my mom has always been very religious, so she believed me right away and thought that I had seen my recently deceased grandfather. And she kind of calmed me down and got me back to sleep. But for a while after that encounter, I was too afraid to use the bathroom so much that I actually peed myself at school one day because I was just too scared to go by myself. And... I'm not sure like what I saw that day if it was my grandfather I've never heard of a ghost that was static before but I'd love to hear what you think I mean it's possible that maybe the recent passing of my grandfather just influenced my imagination and got better of me that night but anyways Thank you for listening to my story. I love your podcast, and thanks for all of your hard work. Bye. Thanks, Anna. Now, believe it or not, I've shared a handful of Shadowman encounters over the years. Season 3, Episode 3, Season 11, Episode 7, and Monsters Among Us Beyond, Number 41, all share stories that are eerily reminiscent of Anna's. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we know what's behind the phenomena. It could be something interdimensional. Maybe 
somehow connected to the shadow person phenomena. Or perhaps, as Anna seemed to suggest, it could be our loved ones back for one last visit. Regardless, thank you again, Anna, for taking the time to share your experience. Now, folks, if you haven't already, please head over to monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop and pick up your Monsters Among Us gear today. Remember, if I see you in public wearing any Monsters Among Us gear, I will come over and pester you. Again, that's monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Maybe I should pester you if you don't buy something. Might have got that backwards. Now I'll tell you what I don't have backwards. Tonight's call selection. And to prove it, check out Jake's entry from the Badger State of Wisconsin. Hey Derek, this is Jake from Green Bay. I am one of your patrons, if that's important. So it's Memorial Day. I've waited a few hours to call you. I was riding my brand new motorcycle this morning, a 650 Ninja. I was out in the country east of Green Bay, Wisconsin, but there's only one Green Bay. And something kind of big cat was jet black. It didn't look furry. And it had uh, wings kind of half folded in. It was really close to the ground. It crossed whatever the small road was and got down in by a creek and a lot of foliage, and I never saw it again. Uh, I'm going to be really nervous to hear my voice, but I look forward to it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Jake. And thank you for being a Patreon patron. Of course, that's important. Now, as for the entry itself, this is certainly the first I've ever heard of an ABC, an alien big cat, having wings of any sort. But it's not the first I've ever heard of a cat, in general, having wings. Now, believe it or not, the phenomena is more common than you might imagine. I've linked to a video in the show notes that gives you a few examples. I remember a paranormal book my grandfather had when I was really young, and in it was a photograph of a cat with wings. It's actually the black and white photo in the video posted on the link. But if I'm honest, I'm using the word wings loosely. From what I can gather, it appears as though the quote-unquote wings are nothing more than matted hair or fur, a result of poor grooming. But watch the video. Take a close look. Make up your own mind. And Jake, thanks again for that wild entry. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by The Outbreak. We are excited to partner with The Outbreak app to host a thrilling virtual race that's also a zombie-themed game that we can play together. In The Outbreak, zombies have taken over and the world needs heroes. Use your real-world steps to battle and run from zombies during an interactive adventure in a virtual, apocalyptic wasteland. There are 17 races and challenges to choose from, and here's the most exciting part. Monsters Among Us is hosting our own challenge for you to join. Our virtual race begins on April 15th and will go for 30 days. The team that makes it to the safe house at the end of the race first will win free tickets to a future race and a signed Monsters Among Us poster for each player. 
and every player who participates and completes the challenge will receive a real-life medal from the outbreak. Visit the link in the show notes to sign up using coupon code MONSTER to save 15% off your race. Then, once you're signed up, enter our unique invite code found in the show notes to join our special Monsters Among Us race before it begins on April 15th. Face the challenge alone, or invite friends to join your team. The Outbreak easily pairs with your Fitbit, Apple Watch, and other smart wearables, and is available on both Apple and Google app stores. And lastly, check out the Outbreak's Kickstarter campaign, running until April 14th, for new races and medals at a discounted price. So check out the show notes, as well as our social media pages for more details about our Monsters Among Us race, and how to join. And we'll see you soon in the Outbreak's virtual zombie apocalypse world. Okay, so this next one is oddly specific, but certainly not something we haven't discussed before. So please welcome Carter from Utah to the program. How you doing, Derek? My name is Carter. Uh, I'm from Salt Lake City, but my story takes place actually in Palm Springs, California. I must have been probably about 12 years old. Me and my two brothers were really into uh, Dance Dance Revolution at the time on the Xbox, but we were at a family reunion, so I'm pretty sure it was during the summer. I recall it being really hot and sunny, but maybe that's how it always is there. I'm not sure. We were staying in this really nice one-story, but really expansive house. And I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure somebody famous lived there before. Uh, I have to ask and see if my family knows about that um, and maybe get some more specifics about that. But basically, we were staying there for a week, and my first experience at the house that really made me, I don't know, think that something was off. Basically, our parents were outside, it was kind of late, and they were all, you know, having a few drinks with their relatives. So pretty much all the adults were outside, and uh, me and my two brothers, I think, were the only ones. Uh, We were right inside. Uh, There's just a sliding glass door that goes right out to a huge patio area with a big pool. Yeah, we were right inside the sliding glass door, and I knew that everyone was outside. Pretty much everyone was outside, you know, having a good time or hanging around the pool drinking but we were just playing dance dance revolution and i just remember hearing something that i've I've heard a lot actually on your show which i think is weird just the heel to toe walking you know on the roof on the ceiling you can just tell it's above you and you can just tell that somebody's walking which i thought was weird because this is a one-story house like i said earlier so i didn't immediately draw a conclusion that it was something super out of the ordinary First thing comes to my head, I was like, who's on the roof? Like, why? You know, I thought maybe someone was, was you know, getting a little little too tipsy. Thinking about maybe jumping off of, into the pool, because, yeah, like, the roof must have been fairly close to the pool. The pool was, you know, just right outside the house. So that, that was my first thought. When I walked outside, you know, I, 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 I felt like I wanted to go out and see what's happening. You know, so I walk outside, and I, I remember just seeing my mom pretty much immediately when I walk out. And I ask her, you know, who's on the roof? And sure enough, no one, no one was on the roof which I thought was weird because I distinctly heard walking on the ceiling on the roof, like right above us while we were playing Dance Dance Revolution. And that was my first experience in the house. And uh, from that point on, for the rest of the trip, yeah, I was very off-put and, and I had a weird feeling in the house. And I think there's one other occasion where I heard dishes rattling during the middle of the night. 
and I went to check and it was in the kitchen. But other than that, that was just the only really discernible, weird, at least ghost experience that I've ever had. Yeah, I still remember to this day and still no, no explanation. But I've heard a lot of those accounts on your show where individuals would hear that healed toe walking, you know, and I've heard it on, you know, countless paranormal TV shows and, and all of that. So I just think it's a weird coincidence and want to know what you think. All right. Thanks, Derek. I love the show. Gets me through my hard days at work. So uh, appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep listening. Have a good one. Thanks, Carter. It is always hot and it's always sunny in Palm Springs. It's an amazing place and is practically one of the corners of our Borrego Triangle. Certainly a strange and beautiful location. And luckily for us, we do not have to guess whose house they were staying in, because Carter called back with further information. I was just calling back uh, with a few more details about my story. Got in contact with my mother about who had previously lived in the house, and apparently it was a relative of the Kennedy family. Not exactly sure, like, that's all she could give me on that. I could do a little more digging and potentially figure out, like, the exact address of the house, uh, and I will try to do that. But one thing my mom brought up that could be a possible explanation was, like, a maintenance man, which I don't think could be because, like I said, the roof was, like, one story is really low. It was nighttime, and, like, they didn't call any maintenance people, so I think it would be weird if the maintenance person would show up that late if there wasn't some kind of emergency or something like that. On top of all that, I walked outside like right after I heard the sound and I looked up on the roof and I could see that whoever was like crouched or laid down on the roof as soon as I walked outside or something. Plus all the adults were outside, you know, drinking, like I said, and it would be weird to me if none of them had seen this maintenance person, you know, on this one story roof uh, right next to them. Because when I came out and talked about it, everyone was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. No one's on the roof, you know. So, just a thought my mom had. Like I said, it was clear as day, yielded toe, like heavy boot walking. And I've heard that a lot. Okay. So this theme has come up from time to time. Something running on the roof or walls of a home. I've probably discussed it in half a dozen calls over the years. And when those stories do come up, I typically revert to telling the same old story. Early 90s, my family of five went to Jacksonville, Florida to visit with my grandparents that had recently retired there a few years prior. And one night while we were sleeping, many of us on the living room floor, since my grandparents lived in a single-wide trailer. Anyway, in the middle of the night, everyone in the house was awakened by a loud pounding on the roof of the trailer. Something large and heavy would run back and forth from one side to the other. When all the adults awoke and ran outside, they found nothing. And those are about all the details that I can remember. Because unfortunately, I slept through a majority of the episode. So taking a page out of Carter's playbook, I asked my parents for more information. And the following was what my dad could recall of the event. I heard the noise, but I thought the noise came from underneath the trailer and something was like banging its head across the trailer, back and forth, back and forth. Well, the next morning we got up, we went outside, looked, and we couldn't find nothing under the trailer. And 
I don't know. You said it was on top. I said it was on bottom. And boy, am I glad I did ask because I've been telling that story wrong all along. Now, I'm not sure what's creepier. Something unidentified running on top of the trailer or underneath it. Well, I reached out to my mom as well in regards to the incident, and she repeated what my dad told me. She also went on to add that my grandfather, a retired police chief, removed the skirting from under the trailer in hopes of finding footprints or the guilty party themselves. But he found nothing. And according to my grandparents, when asked about the activity at the time, they mentioned that that sort of thing happened all the time. So I guess my memory isn't quite what I thought it was. But it still makes a very fun little story. A big thanks to Carter and my mom and dad for their help on that one. Well, since we're in the southeast, let's make a quick stop over in Alabama, where Heidi has a call waiting for us. Hi, Derek. This is Heidi from Alabama. Huge fan of the podcast, and I appreciate everybody calling in with their stories. I really enjoy hearing the scary stories and knowing, you know, that you're not alone in some of your experiences. And so I thought it's about time I call in some of my own, and I've got quite a few. But this one I'm calling about is about my childhood home in Iowa. So we moved into this brand new ranch home when I was 10. It was me, my mom, my sister, and things started happening right away. And we would hear pacing along the length of the house and there was no attic. There was like two feet of space in the attic. So no one was up in the attic and you'd go outside and there'd be nobody on the roof. And But you could clearly hear someone pacing with footsteps the length of the house. You know, everybody would hear this, family, friends, you name it. So it was really eerie and odd for a new house to immediately be haunted. So we would have lights come on, things moving, normal haunted stuff. So the two main experiences I had, the first one, I was home alone and I was recording music off the radio and I started recording one song and I went into the kitchen to make myself some food and I wasn't really paying attention and the song stopped and someone started talking and I wasn't paying attention at all because that's you know normal it happens until they said my name and they said my full name my first middle and last and then a pause and the song started up again and I thought oh my gosh did I win something what was that about and so I run over rewind it and it's just the song they there was no talking nobody said my name and so uh, I was freaked out obviously but I, I could also kind of pass it off as oh maybe it was in my head there was no one else there to back me up so I kind of blew it off well a couple years later a friend of mine and me were in my kitchen about to do like an all-nighter study session for finals and we're the only ones in the house and we're having a good time talking and I'm making ramen noodles at the at the stove and she's behind me at the kitchen table and we're just chatting and the only way I can describe it is if a giant were trying to whisper because it was really loud but it was also a whisper and it said Heidi it said my name Heidi and 
I just, again, like, okay, it's in my head, and I keep talking. She has grown quiet, and it happens again. It goes, Heidi. And I whip around thinking it's her messing with me, and she is ghost white, and she just says, oh, my God, it knows your name. And I instantly was like, oh, crap. (laughs) It's not in my head. This is actually happening. It does know my name. (laughs) So we got knives, and we're running around, and... There was nobody outside the house. There was no windows open. Um, it was in the middle of the winter, so everything was sealed up and nobody was in the house. So there was no explanation for where this disembodied voice came from. So that was pretty freaky. But those were the two main things from my childhood home. I have others that I'll call about, some really frightening ones. So can't wait to share those. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you enjoy this one and you can use it. And thanks again for all you guys all do. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for calling, Heidi. More steps on the ceiling. I didn't even mean to do that. To put those two calls back to back like that. It was just another one of those synchronicities. And I don't claim to know everything about ghosts and hauntings. Truth be told, it's quite possible I know absolutely nothing about them. But what I do know is that hearing your name called by a disembodied voice has got to give you one creepy feeling. Brave of you to share with us tonight, Heidi. Thanks again for calling. Now, are you a supporter of Monsters Among Us over on Patreon? $4 a month gives you access to nearly 60 bonus episodes and counting. And did I mention, it helps put food on our table. But listen, I know times are tight, and maybe 4 bucks is too steep. Maybe consider our $1 a month level. It gives you ad-free content posted every time I release an episode. And there's a few bonus episodes dispersed in there as well. That's patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast if you're interested. And I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone that already has for their patronage. Now our next entry just might span a few different genres. Please welcome Josh from California to the program. So this my name is Josh. I live in Sacramento. I'm 42 years old. This happened in San Francisco when I was 10 years old. I used to go sleep over at a buddy's house, and they were really into uh, the supernatural stories like that. And so uh, one Friday night, we were going to go to the amusement park the next day. We weren't sleepy. So his older brother started reading us a book about fairies, goblins, witches, monsters, etc. And after a while, we got sleepy, so we went up the stairs to his bedroom, and he had a bunk bed in there, and I took the top bunk, he took the bottom one, and the door opened, it was at the foot of the bunk bed. So anyways, we were uh, in the dark, we were talking about what we were going to be doing the next day, when uh, the door started, I heard the door started opening, like the squeak of it, and I was, I just started hearing, when after the door fully opened, like my friend from beneath me, started like gasping a little bit and I was waiting for whoever was there to come to the middle of the room. I thought it was his parents that we were caught because we were still up and what I saw was an arm. It was illuminated, uh, outlined by 
a light, a, a dim but glowing light, like bluish color, and I could see that the arm from the fingernails to, to the elbow, and it was hairy. It went to the center of the room, turned around, uh, went out, closed the door, and that was it. And we got out of that room, we went to his parents' room, and did you see the hand, did you see the hand? And anyways, uh, we went back to sleep, I don't remember how, but the next Monday at school, I was in fifth grade, during lunch I went to the library, uh, and I was just looking at the books, and I saw a book, the spine of one of the books, it was a red book, and it said, Famous Monsters of America, and on the cover there was a picture of Bigfoot. So I started thumbing through the pages. There were some black and white pictures. There were some drawings. And I finally, I turned one of the pages and I saw the picture, a drawing of an arm, just like what I had seen. And there was a paragraph in the description that said that it was a demon. I can't remember the name of it, but that it lived under stairs. I remember we had to go upstairs to his room and that it didn't like to be swore at, no bad words, but liked to be called grandpa. So... I put that away, and I never talked to him about it. Years later, maybe about, gosh, this actually this was probably about a couple years ago, on Facebook I contacted him, and we talked, uh, and I, I didn't want to mention it, but I said, hey, do you remember what happened in your house so many years ago, about, you know, 28 years ago? And he said, the hand? And I said, yeah. And it was a trip because we never talked about that afterwards. And for him, so many years later, to still remember that and to agree with what I saw is what is one of the events of my childhood that will come scary storytelling time I, I can't forget. Well, anyways, thank you, and I'll call back. I have another story that happened to my ex-wife. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. So, how do you categorize this one? The hairy arm suggests some sort of Sasquatch activity. The fact that it entered the room the way it did suggests perhaps another incarnation of these strange nighttime visitors. You know, the chimps, dinosaurs, wolves, tiny shadow people, etc. Or perhaps this is a symptom of a haunting or possession of some sort. Or... Maybe, like Josh suggested, a little-known hairy-armed demon. Whatever tormented you guys that evening, Josh, I'm certainly glad you decided to share the story with us. Now this next one is one of those on the more light-hearted side. Please welcome Donald from South Carolina to the program. Hey Derek, this is Donald calling again from South Carolina. Just another quick one. My father had passed away a couple of years ago, and my brother had come to pick me up. He, at the time, lived in Florida, so we were driving down to straighten out his affairs. And we checked into a hotel in northern Florida. I can't remember the exact town. But we got there in the early evening, and we checked into our room. And interestingly enough... Oh, well, we got hungry. We went out to eat. On the way back, we got to the room. We used the key card. The door unlocked, but the little security latch was engaged. And I knocked on the door, and no one was there. So we went down to the office and asked the clerk if they had this special tool to open up that little latch. They did not have that, and they weren't going to have it till the next day. And we had all of our stuff in there, plus we had to be on the road in the morning. 
they were willing to give us another room, but I did not feel that that was acceptable. Funny enough, my father, when we were young, taught us how to undo locks and latches and pick doors and all kinds of stuff like that. So I asked them if they had a room right next door that we could access, and they did. And I was able to pick the door from the adjacent room, and we got in. Then I couldn't help but to feel that it was my father giving one last lesson or goodbye, maybe a little less joke on us, but we didn't have any negative or weird feelings in the room. I just thought it was pretty interesting. Anyway, once again, love the show. You're the best. We appreciate it, and you have a great day. Bye. Thanks, Donald. You know, it's funny. It's stories like Donald's that make me more of a believer. Not the spooky entries. Not the ones that terrify. Although I do love those experiences. No, it's the stories that tug on the heartstrings that are more convincing to me. Or maybe that just simply puts me in a situation where I want to believe. Regardless, thank you, Donald, for sharing that moment with us. Well, speaking of sharing, I'm about to share with you a call that touches on a subject that is near legendary on this program. A story about a phenomena that, until recently, none of us noticed. A tale of three entities. Walking in unison. Please welcome Jason from the state of California to the program. Hey Derek, this is Jason. I've called once before. Uh, I was just listening to... uh, I jump around on your podcast, basically. I listen to it to and from work and to fall asleep to. Um, <laughs> but uh, Season 7, Episode 15, about the three dark figures. I don't know what it was, but it it, <laughs> it was like a lightning bolt went up my spine when I heard that guy's story. And it brought back one of the scariest memories that I had forgotten and... I actually called my friend Josh, who was there with me, and he, yeah, pretty much a very, very, very similar situation. I'm from the Bay Area, actually Lafayette, California, and um, one night we were sneaking out, you know, we were going to run around being teenagers, and, you know, I don't know, actually not even teenagers, I think we were like 12. It was the uh, fall. It was actually, I remember, it was right before my birthday. And, oh my gosh, this just gives me chills. Even talking about it, thinking about it, we were up in the hills in Lafayette, California, and around Burton Valley. And there's this place called The Grove, and it's like a big ring of trees. There's nothing around there. It's like all kind of cow fields. I don't know. Um, it's suburbs. But uh, we were up there, and, you know, it's where a lot of places, uh, people have parties up there all the time, you know, keggers and all this stuff. We're used to back in the 90s. This was probably 91, but um, we were up there and there was nothing going on that night. I think it was a weeknight. We would just sneak out, smoke cigarettes or whatever, you know. But as we were walking back from the grove, there's like this trail. And as we're walking back, we just both get this like oh <laughs> feeling you know oh you know the cops are there you know that kind of feeling but it wasn't the cops there was three dark 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 
figures, I guess you would say, just standing there, facing the other direction. And my friend Josh, I mean, we were, we jumped down on the ground and we were staring at them. They all looked back at the exact same time and we put our heads down. And the next thing we know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. We both got in trouble. We got grounded because we had snuck out. And it was one of the scariest things that's ever happened. We tried to explain it to our parents. You know, of course, they didn't believe us. You know, they thought we just fell asleep. But this wasn't asleep because we don't, it wasn't, it was like we blinked. And, oh my God, I'm, I have my, I have goosebumps all over my body right now. Just even talking about this, it, anyway, great podcast, man. Uh, Love paranormal, caught on camera. Uh, me, Me and my son watch it, but yeah, wow. Thanks for listening to my story. Thank you, sir, for sharing. I understand that was likely difficult. We could hear the discomfort in your voice. And the entire time I was listening, I had the same thought. Just wait until Jason hears the rest of the Mirrored Men calls in that episode. Season 7, Episode 15, The Mirrored Men Special. Well, as it turns out, he did listen to the rest of that episode. And this is how he feels about it. Hey, Derek. Uh, this is Jason Valentine. I called last night. When I told my story, I had only heard the first part of season 7, episode 15. I'm finishing it now, and I just want to say, oh, my God. Wow, man. Like this. <laughs> oh... I had nightmares last night and just creepy, creepy dreams about all this. And it's insane that this many people are have pretty much the same experience. And I never even heard of it. You know, it's like one of those things that I, you forget about and then something reminds you and, and you, know, you feel like it's so familiar and then lightning rod and it's all back. Well, that's, <sighs> oh my God, I, I'm on my way to work and I don't know, I just had to had to call you and tell you that. Uh, great podcast, man. Keep on keeping on. All right, but um, thank you for all your work and uh, yeah, all right, have a good one. Thanks for creeping me out. <laughs> Now, of course, we are referring to the mirrored men. If you're new to the program, you might want to sit down. Throughout the six-year existence of this program, I've received dozens of calls about a phenomena I began calling the mirrored men. Essentially, there are three men, all identical. Same build, same clothing, and same odd, exaggerated features. And they move in unison, mirrored if you will. And as if that's not creepy enough, it almost seems that if you make eye contact with them, they simply wipe your memory for seven or eight hours. Because, like with Jason and his friend, a sizable block of time is discovered to be missing after nearly every encounter. And also, like Jason's entry, many, if not most, of these experiences occur in more rural locations. 
And although Jason didn't reference it in his call, these entities are also often seen during or adjacent to some unusual weather. A fog, a hurricane, a snowstorm. And before you go thinking this is some sort of gimmick, something strictly shared on this show to get people to listen, you're wrong. Although I do applaud your skepticism. No, the fact is, if you look hard enough, there are plenty of references to the mirrored men elsewhere. In fact, thanks to Lon Strickler over at Phantoms and Monsters, I have yet another to toss onto the fire. I was in the woods of Southern California. I was in the middle of a training session when I was told to stay off the road. Okay, cool, I said. About 2 a.m., me and my partner are moving to another spot when we spot three people walking on the road. I immediately told him to hold and we moved into the shadows. What we saw was very unusual. The beings, or men, were the exact same height, moving at the exact same speed with the same exact step and arm swing. I wasn't scared, but I was like, what the F? I asked some others later on, and a couple of guys said they saw the same, and it was weird to them, too. Now, due to the nature of the job, I must be vague. Now, it was July. We were on navigation night exercise, one of my favorites because they're high speed and thrilling. There's a group of us doing this evolution. We split off into twos. Woods at night can play tricks on your mind real easy. But my partner and I have laser-like focus, so we're not spooked by this. Hours go on as we make our way to checkpoints. Our last checkpoint was hard and very far. It took forever, and we thought we were lost, so we had to recheck our map to see where we were at. We used the moon's light to gather our exact whereabouts. Well, the best lighting is by the road, so we went by it. And that's when we saw in the distance three things people or whatever, walking on the road. I was like, F this. I told my partner to dip off into the shadows so they couldn't see us. When they walked past us, it was trippy. All three the same height, six foot seven or so. All in unison, not a step out of place, nor an arm. And saying something in a foreign language. It was weird and my thoughts were, These instructors are in need of civilization. These fools are tripping. I asked my nav partner, WTF, and he shrugged it off. We finally made it to the last checkpoint. Others were there and I asked about any tall instructors around. Everyone said no. Then two guys walked up to me and said they saw some dudes walking perfectly together and they dove into some bushes before they got near. They said it looked trippy, too. I don't know, man. It was wild. BD. And while this encounter doesn't reference any missing time, the gentleman does mention that they thought they were lost and that the route took longer than expected. But it also doesn't mention making eye contact or pointing a weapon at the terrifying threesome, either. Actions that I can't help but think initiate the missing time. Of course, that's merely an educated guess. I truthfully do not know. 
but what I do know is this. With each story told and each encounter uncovered, we are getting at least one step closer to some sort of truth. But until then, you know what they say. Look away and walk away, calm as you can. Look away and walk away, calm as you can. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you have a free few moments, please consider rating and reviewing the show wherever possible. And while you're at it, jump on over to social media and join one of our accounts at Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And finally, music from tonight's episode is provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey, and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Tonight's secret entry is unsettling, but don't take my word for it. Eli from Virginia, take it away. Hey Derek, it's Eli, calling from Virginia about a story that happened to me back when I was a volunteer firefighter. I was 17 at the time, and I had a Mustang, so I was faster to get to calls than everybody else that was at the station. So. I was granted permission to get basically a permit saying that I could use a handgun and secure scenes before the rest of the department arrived. So we got a call one day about a house fire. And since I was still in school and stuff, I get going, I get into my car and I'm heading that way with my siren that I put up in my dash and my little black and pink helmet that the guys gave me. That's a whole nother story. So I get there and I can tell the house is starting to burn and right as I park, I can hear the fire truck coming up the street. So I go start securing the scene. And I had had an issue one time where I'd bumped into another police officer while I was securing the scene for a house fire that we felt was arson. So I start going around. I have my Colt 45 revolver and I'm walking around looking. And right at the tree line, I see a pair of eyes. Early evening, the sun is just starting to set really good. So I think it's somebody there. So I turn my flashlight on him and I say, hey, you know, you need to come out. Well, it just sits there. So I'm like, okay. Well, start getting a little bit closer. And as I start to get closer, I realize that the eyes are there and there's no 
real form to whatever I'm looking at. So I'm starting to realize it's not a person. So I have my light on it, and I get probably within six feet of whatever this is, and it starts to slowly go from this formless figure to a figure that looks like an adult man, standing about six foot tall. He's wearing older clothes, but not like 1800s, maybe like early 90s. So I grab my gun, I pointed at him, not really sure what I'm about to do. And he just looks at me and he says, there's a kid in the house. And it just disappeared. That freaked me out to no end. But the words, there's a kid in the house, rang deep into me. So I go run to my chief and I said, hey, did y'all get everybody out of the house? There was a mom and a dad that were unconscious that were in the back of the ambulance. And they said, yes, we got everybody. I said, where's the kid? They said, what kid? So... Thankfully, one of the guys was fully packed out, and he runs back in, and a kid was hiding underneath his bed, and they pulled him out. He was fine, thankfully, but that was a freaky and yet overwhelming experience to have some entity tell me, hey, you need to get this kid. Anyway, that's it for this call. I'll call back with more. Love the show, Derek. Keep it up. Bye. Wow. Thank you, Eli. That is certainly a wild tale. A life saved by what we can only assume is a ghost in acid-washed jeans. You hear stories like this from time to time. Some sort of ghostly intervention avoids tragedy. And the fact that that does happen on occasion. Does it ever make you wonder if all tragedies could be prevented this way? And if so, where are the rest of the ghostly warnings? Or is it possible that that sort of help is always available? There's always guardians watching, waiting, vigilant. But unlike Eli, we're simply not paying attention to them, thus not able to see them. Getting a little deep here. Well, either way, thanks again, Eli, for sharing the entry. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.